Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. And we're back. This is our second hour of the Interpreter Foundation radio show. We are here with three this evening, Hale Swift, Professor Brent Schmidt, and I'm Martin Tanner. The Interpreter Show is brought to you by the Interpreter Foundation, which has a mission to support the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints through scholarship. We provide accurate information to the public about the church, and we also defend the church against critics. We have a scholarly publication uh, in terms of a journal that's at interpreterfoundation.org and many, many other offerings, including podcasts and various other things. We are not controlled by or directly affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the material that we publish is our own responsibility. We're also, this hour, sponsored by the Kimber Academy, which is a K-12 private school, not the same as public schools. The Kimber Academy keeps God in the classroom Kimber Academy is a place where teachers guide students not just towards academics but towards faith and morality and they do it with quality engaging curriculum at Kimber Academy every parent's voice is heard in Utah the Kimber Academy is located in Linden Utah but there are more locations throughout the United States If you would like to find out if Kimber Academy is a good fit for your students, give them a call and tell them the Interpreter Foundation sent you. Call the director, Jessica Bianco, at area code 801-382-7158, 801-382-7158, or go to kimberschool.com. That is kimberschool.com all right gentlemen we have our open second hour to discuss various ideas and during this second hour there are some very positive things that we could say that have been in the church news in troubling times with the economy and the, the, the southern border and all kinds of different areas for concern, inflation and so forth. In, in the world, the church just seems to, to move forward in some wonderful, wonderful ways. The, the one that I wanted to focus on in particular, to start off with anyway, is the church's efforts towards helping those who have been through disasters or other uh, things which which require help through food clothing shelter and so forth they the church 
just does some wonderful humanitarian things, the most recent of which has been with, uh, with, with more earthquakes and re resulting catastrophes in Japan, which is near and dear to me because that's where I spent my mission. And, and I'm just amazed constantly at the efforts that the church makes towards helping those who, who are in distress. And the church does that without respect to who is on the receiving end. You don't have to be a Latter-day Saint. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be anything but someone who is in need. And that, to me, is, is marvelous. The other thing that I wanted to bring up briefly is sort of the end of an era with Lloyd Newell uh, retiring as the spokesperson of music and the spoken word to, to become a mission president. Lloyd Newell's a, a wonderful guy, and, and he just, he'll be a fantastic mission president, and, and it will be fascinating to see how things move forward with, with music and the spoken word. So with those short sort of introductory comments, Brent, what's on your mind for the second hour? And then I'll turn to Hales. Well, I just uh, finished reading Jeffrey's, Jeff uh, Bradley's work on comparing the, the Masonic rituals with uh, the temple. And I'm just very impressed on how he looked at all the different connections with the ancient world and, and with, uh, with masonry. And so that's just been an interpreter book I've read recently that I thought was really well done. So good job, Brother Bradley. <laughs> Perfect. Or Bradshaw, I mean, Bradshaw. Jeff Bradshaw, yep. Jeff's a, Jeff's a great guy. Um, Hales. I don't have a lot, but I, I was noticing that the Seminary Institute curriculum looks like it was going to add some life preparation lessons for their curriculum, which sounded kind of interesting. I'm still trying to find out the details of these. And it looks like maybe they've been announced in more summary form, though. Terrific. One of the things that I, I would like to jump in and add here real quick is, is to dovetail, Brent, with what you mentioned about Jeff Bradshaw's work dealing with... Um, the, the, the church and the tie-in or lack of a tie-in with uh, Masonic rituals. One of the things that happens over and over and over again with critics is that they try to say that Joseph Smith and the church lifted Masonic elements and placed them in the temple uh, endowment and, and in other places. And when I see that, I, I just laugh. But on the other hand, it does great damage when people don't have a, a more full context. And one of the things that's often left out of the equation is the idea of how different the purposes are of, of the Masonic rituals as compared with with the endowment the masonic 
principles and, and rituals and, and the whole Masonic order is really geared towards the idea of, of doing good things uh, in mortality. And the individuals who are part of Masonry, which, which is a brotherhood, is, is they do great work. I have nothing negative to say about the Masons. Shriners hospitals, uh, all kinds of wonderful things are done by them. It's just a different kind of an organization. When you look at the temple in contrast, it looks to a certain degree towards mortality, but it mostly looks towards heaven and the afterlife. And it doesn't do it with individuals or just with brotherhood. It does it with binding families together for eternity and so the underlying nature of the endowment is so very very different from the masonic rituals that that those who try to compare them uh, frankly do both a, a disservice because they are so very very different another point that is often overlooked is that when you look at some of the elements that are similar, and I'm not gonna get into too many details here, but I'll bring up the idea of passwords or signs, tokens, the, those sorts of, of ideas. We don't have too many of those in our society today in connection with, with meetings, at least not until recently. And now they're making a comeback. <laughs> and, and you might say, well, how, how is that happening? Well, you can join the Rotary Club today, and nothing is secret about the Rotary Club. You can join the Lions Club. Nothing is secret about the Lions Club. There are all kinds of altruistic groups, Knights of Columbus and, and, and many different organizations, and none of them are secret. During the time of Joseph Smith and the Restoration of the Church, there were hundreds and hundreds, literally, of different organizations, and they had as a hallmark the idea of secrecy. They did not want the outside world to be involved. The Masons were one. Temple Endowments, another one. But there were others, and I'll just give a couple of illustrations. There's a building in downtown Salt Lake. And it was moved. It was quite an amazing moving project uh, about 25 years ago. They moved it one block over so it wouldn't be lost. It was, it was such an iconic building dating to the early 1900s. I think it was 1903, 1904. And it's, if you look at the, the banner etched in stone at the top of this structure, it's the Oddfellow Building. If you look at that, you think, what, what in the world does that mean? That was the building that was built by a secret organization called the Oddfellows. Why would anyone call themselves the Oddfellows? Because they wanted to be odd, different, and distinct from the world at large. Sounds kind of familiar to Latter-day Saints. They wanted to be unique. They had their own 
passwords. They had their own signs and tokens to get in. And this was, this was not unusual. Often it's just the Latter-day Saints that are compared with the Masons. And if you do that, you only have a very small picture of the environment in which the endowment um, came to be. And, and so for me, when I hear passwords or, or, or something as, as being ripped off from, from the Masons, to, to put it bluntly, to me, that's a little bit like saying that somehow uh, if anybody uses a password on the computer, they must have stolen it from the Masons. Or if somebody has uh, some kind of um, a, a, a sign or fingerprint or something that they use to get into their computer, up oh, they stole that idea from the Masons. It's, it's ludicrous, even though there are similarities in their use to keep unwanted people out. If you don't have the whole picture, then you lose out on the fact that these kinds of ideas were all over the place in the ancient world and in the new world at the time of Christ, probably as recorded in the secret gospel of Mark, and in some other places, and in our modern world with groups and organizations like the Odd Fellows and, uh, and the Masonic Lodge. But just because there are some similarities in the outside use does, does not mean that somehow the underlying principles in the endowment and in the other important parts of the gospel that, that are that are kept sacred and to a certain degree secret. People don't like the word secret, but it's, it's an important concept. Just because people don't understand that does not mean that it's, um, that it's not important. And just because people don't understand that there are so many other contexts in which keeping something that's sacred and important confidential uh, d doesn't mean that somehow that that's improper or that the Latter-day Saints ripped the information off from the Masons. All right, that's, that's my little addition to the idea of, of Jeff Bradshaw's article. Jeff and I had some conversations about this concept. Um, and I think it's also worth making the comment that in the ancient world, as in the modern world, there's there was a need to be able to establish who was trustworthy or who could be uh, trusted or relied upon over distances where maybe you don't know everyone personally. And having, having some sort of sign or means of identification of trustworthy persons is, and or was and is, important. And so it's not at all surprising to see those included in a ritual that is uh, centered around the idea of how how do we gain greater light and knowledge from God, the ultimate trustworthy person or trustworthy entity. 
um, the uh, authorized messenger, so we, who you would also want to then verify were, were trustworthy persons. Um, so in a sense, part of the idea that's being established is the notion of the divine provenance of the communication being given by, by these messengers, right? Or that, that's part of the idea in the simple endowment. And you can also see that running throughout uh, Third Nephi uh, when he says, okay, I ordained these 12 to meet with your ministers. Wonderful. Great comments. Brent, any I'm other back now. topics you'd like to add? Yes. I, I've missed the discussion, but I've, I've uh, maybe just share, share a couple more things about the Jeffrey Bradshaw work. Please. Uh, just, uh, I read through it a couple times in the last week or so. I know they have a conference coming up on temples and so I'm excited to attend and I've been shooting emails back and forth and and I look forward to sharing some things there at that conference but anyway if you read through the book most of the time it'll have different things in the um, the, the the temple ordinances but one of the things I like it brother Bradshaw doesn't reveal I don't think anything that we're not supposed to so he's very careful uh, what, what you can talk about President, uh, well, starting, I think, with President Hinckley, President um, Benson, and, and prophets most recently with Elder Bednar have just said that there are certain things we don't talk about with the temple, like we don't talk about the covenants um, we, we specifically make or the, the symbols, but but he's really careful at at just talking about things that are, um, are not so sacred you can't write about them. But he goes through and he shows with boxes, what is an ancient scripture, and what was part of the the Jewish or ancient traditions, and and actually Joseph Smith restores those in most cases, probably eight times out of ten. Looks like maybe we lost you again. How frustrating. Well, uh, as, as he perhaps tries to call back, I'll, I'll just add uh, a couple of points here that probably aren't in the direction that, that he would have gone, but th that is that um, Bill Hamblin and, and several others have, have written uh, about how the endowment is, is something that was probably around at the time of Christ. And, and I know there are some Latter-day Saint scholars who, who will disagree with this, but the secret gospel of Mark um, is a partially recovered ancient document, in, in my opinion, and in the opinion of, of, of many um, who see that, who, who see the who see the 
um, secret gospel of Mark as something very similar to the endowment that, that Jesus was teaching in the first century. And the very title, the, the secret gospel of Mark, Im- implies that it's something that wasn't out and authorized to, to the public. And, and so this idea that somehow the, the restoration of the endowment, as, as it's called, couldn't be true because we don't have an example of that back in the time of Christ is, is probably not accurate. The, the secret gospel of Mark, I, I believe to be an authentic example of that. Um, John Gee and I have, have had some discussions. He has a different point of view. So in, in fairness and completeness, I'll, I'll um, politely, politely say that he and I disagree and, and, um, and have different points of view on that, but I'm convinced that it's an ancient, authentic, authentic document. So we have you back, it sounds like, once again, Brent. I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what's happening with the system or my phone. I certainly doubt that it's you and your phone. I, I suspect that it's probably something in connection with, with the uh, studio's recent tech changes. So, Okay. Anyway. Whatever it is, it's happening to me, too. So, <laughs> Is it? Okay. I'm not alert. That's right. Yeah. yeah this, this, okay. This whole, this whole episode has been a great exercise in persistence for all involved, I think. <laughs> yes, I, I've memorized the number now to call in. So there you go. <laughs> I'm about there too. <laughs> so, so yes, you you were talking about Jeff Bradshaw's um, book, and and you were mentioning things that were sacred but not secret that you could mention, and some things yeah. that he was careful about. And I thought he was did a great job of doing that, and and he basically in every little section he talks about things in the temple. Uh, for instance, the fact that the temple ordinances are for men and women, whereas masonry is just for men. And so there's probably a hundred little things like that that he goes through, and he demonstrates how things in the temple resonate either with with uh, early Jewish traditions or Kabbalah or with the Old Testament or, or certain little kind of subtle things. And and they, I think eight eight out of ten times he shows that Joseph Smith's, Joseph Smith and, and later prophets, as as we receive the special information through authority, are are very special and uh, and it seems although that masonry was influential in getting Joseph Smith's attention and thinking about things that Bradshaw argues that Joseph Smith really received a lot of information in like 1833, 1835 about the temple that he didn't reveal all in a lot of cases until later in the Nauvoo period, but there are hints of it in a lot of the Doctrine and Covenants and other places. And that is absolutely true. One of the best books on that, uh, in my personal private opinion, um, is a book by a Washington attorney, um, Jennifer McKay, who did something, and when I first saw that, I thought, I should have thought of that. <laughs> it was just, it was so obvious, but she did such a wonderful job about it. Um, and what she does, she takes Wilford Woodruff's journals, and she goes through them for all of his references 
about the temple. And the neat thing about the result of that is that Wilford Woodruff was such a meticulous journal keeper that you see the, I hate to use the word evolution, but I'll do it anyway. You, you, see, you see how the temple uh, endowment grows and, and, is, and expands and, is, uh, and the details of it are, are refined, much in the way that baptism for the dead was was refined um baptism for the dead i can mention that because that's a a a little bit different and and more uh open but originally anyone a, a man could be baptized for other men or or for women and the same thing for women and and that that has changed and was refined soon after that was that's in the saints books too i there's some little little notes about that if you want to read in the saints books Perfectly. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that would be an example of, of that. And so um, things change over time and improve. And you, if you take a look at, at McKay's book about about the uh, endowment and the changes in it over time, she shows that it happened very, very early on, that the ideas about the endowment um, and, and s- celestial bonds that things that were sealed on earth being sealed in heaven were these ideas were, were brought forth quite early and you see references uh, to to them in terms in, in the doctrine and covenants in terms of the endowment of power from from on high and and so uh yeah, brent i'm i'm backing up your your idea that you mentioned that that jeff bradshaw mentions that these that the endowment happened very, very early and, and was refined. That the idea of exactly who wrote it down and specifically how we, we know some things about, uh, and, and that Brigham Young was integrally in, involved in that. But yeah, it's a, it's really amazing. It, it it really to me demonstrates that that Joseph Smith is receiving revelation and knowledge and bringing together all the light and truth. That, that he has around him, but mostly you can see that it's coming from our Heavenly Father. And I, I just can't imagine anybody being able to do those kinds of things after reading this book. And I, I, I know also from the Holy Ghost that Joseph Smith's a prophet, and, and I'm so grateful uh, that he restored the gospel and these, these ordinances. I love the temple. I, love, I get to serve in the, the temple as well. It's... Uh, I, every Saturday, it's, it's a really good place to be on a Saturday. Pretty good place to be on pretty much plan, any though. day, but I, I agree yeah, with sure. you. That's that's right. Yeah. Regarding the question of when it was revealed, though, you can't date it any later by any reasonable standard than the Pearl of Great Price, right? Because the Book of Moses and the Book of Abraham contain the accounts of the creation that are clearly temple-oriented in their content and approach. They outline what happens to people who make these covenants, build Zion, and essentially enter into the presence of God. And once you recognize the themes and understand them, you can't date it any earlier 
or any later rather, than the Book of Mormon, because it's clear that the same pattern of covenants and ordinances is influencing things in the Book of Mormon. In Third Nephi, you can see it in the Sermon at the Temple, as plain as day. In King Benjamin's speech, you can see it, see it as plain as day. In Nephi's yeah. vision. Well, there we go. Looks like we we lost Hales again. Hales, um, please dial back in. I, the 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 book about the endowment w would indicate from Wilford Woodruff's journals that the early forms within the LDS faith of the endowment itself had had been taught by Joseph Smith to several of the early church leaders by around 1832, perhaps even earlier. And, and so it was there very, very early. It's not something that, that's sprung up um, all of a sudden in Kirtland or, or later in, in Nauvoo. So it's, um, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's a great, great, great story. Um, Brent, anything you'd like to add here? Hales, anything you would like to add? Maybe we have lost just about everyone here. Um, well, what we will do is uh, wrap things up here. I think we've covered a, a number of good topics. Anyway, if, if you have more information that you're interested in from the Interpreter Foundation, go to uh, interpreterfoundation.org. And tonight's broadcast has been sponsored by the Interpreter Foundation by Kimber Academy, Brent Schmidt, Hales Swift, and Martin Tanner signing off for this evening. Join us again next week and every Sunday on the internet or on the radio from 7 to 9 p.m. and also on podcasts on the Interpreter Foundation website. Have a good night.